Hi, I'm Simon Drew, and you're listening to the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes of the show, as well as articles and information about my one-on-one alignment coaching, then you can head to my website. It's simonjedrew.com. If you do have the means to support the show, then I'd love to see you in my Patreon community. Just go to patreon.com forward slash simonjedrew, where you'll also get access to over 240 episodes recorded before 2020. But for now, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me today in this episode. Now, I've got a great conversation for you that I had with Harold Kavli. Now, if you haven't heard my previous episode with Harold, then definitely go check that out. We talk about uh, his journey, uh, well, he's kind of in the middle of his journey at the moment, um, of translating the works of Epictetus into Norwegian, uh, which is a really awesome and a hefty task, of course. Uh, But today, we wanted to talk about uh, Harold's evening meditation slash evening reflection routine that he does. Uh, because I know that a lot of you do journaling, a lot of you write things down in the morning or in the evening uh, in a reflection, um, and this is kind of a, it's become a stoic practice, you know, uh, and, and so I wanted to get some good tips from him for what's useful, what's helpful, um, what's the best practices, and I hope that it'll be helpful for you guys too, as, uh, as well as all of the tangents that we go on in our conversation. Uh, but anyway, without any further ado, I present to you this conversation with Harold Kavli. All right, so we are here once again with Harold Covley. Now, uh, Harold, uh, such a great time talking to you last time, and that was the first time that we've met, um, talking about kind of your journey going through and uh, and translating the works of Epictetus. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'm so glad that you came on. I'm so glad that you're back. I'm excited to have a conversation with you today. One thing that I want to start with, I want to open up this conversation by going back to something that you mentioned to me while we were just speaking then. Um, and I want you to elaborate on it because I think it's such an important idea for people to grasp their head, head, get their head around. You said that the good thing about philosophy is that it's the last thing that people can take away from you and they can't really take it away from you. Um, in a time where a lot of people are in their homes, you know, they can't go outside Uh, There's a lot of things they can't do. They're probably losing a lot of money. I know that a lot of people are losing a lot of money if they own businesses or can't work at the moment. That is one silver lining that you can look at, especially if you're a person who's listening to this podcast, right, is that philosophy is something that can't be taken away from you. I want you to elaborate on that if you could. Yeah. No, uh, Marcus Rivers says that uh, anywhere where you can live, you can live well. Uh, and that's related to this idea that uh, regardless of the circumstances, you can rise above them and you can thrive. Uh, so even in this corona lockdown, uh, there are so many ways you can respond to the situation that's actually quite healthy. So, uh, I mean, you can use uh, the situation to you know get in touch with people that you haven't been in touch with for quite some time. Um, we're currently using Zoom now, and uh, they really uh, had a great time with this situation. And so it opens up a lot of opportunities, you know, to get in touch with people from um, elsewhere in in the world. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of freedom in that, right? Like there's such there's such freedom in this idea that 
if you focus on what people can never take away from you, then you'll always be free. And, you know, I even think too, I gave some advice to my mum today. You know, I was talking to her today and I thought this is interesting. It's uh, She's dealing with a situation in certain organisations that she's a part of where um, she knows that there's people who are not as virtuous as they could be, very um, very deceitful kind of people. And you know how corporations, organisations, there's always those people in there who are just, you know, absolute, just like, are so um, dogmatic, so uh, so gossipy, deceitful, you know, it just breeds that kind of person. And I kind of gave her the same advice. I said, hey, listen, here's what you do. If you focus purely on making the most virtuous, correct, right decision that you can make within the organization, then you have all the freedom and they can't take anything away from you. You know, I said that this is the way that Stoics looked at it, right? It's like, if all that I ever want for my life is to act virtuously, then nobody can take anything away from me. And I have nothing to lose because it can't be taken away from me. There's such a power in that. Hey. Yeah. Like in Epictetus or when it talks about the senator, uh, and it's the argument with, uh, Emperor Vespasian. Um, and, uh, well, uh, Vespasian tells him to, uh, not come to the Senate house and the center responds that, well, I'm a senator. It's my duty to uh, come to the Senate. And then the emperor says, uh, well, if you come, um, you have to shut up. And he says, well, if you ask me, it's my responsibility to actually say what I think is right. Uh, then the emperor says, well, I have to ask you, uh, well, and then I, I have to tell you what I think is right. Well, I will have you executed then. Well, it's uh, up to you to have me executed. It's up to me to die without complaint. And I mean, mm. <laughs> that's a great way to look at it. It's brilliant. Um, it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah. There's so many great examples of that. You know, I'm reading Diogenes' Life of the Eminent Philosophers at the moment. And man, there's just story after story of these great philosophers who just all that they wanted was to figure out how to live a good life. I think of, um, I think of Diogenes uh, of, of, of wait, yeah, Diogenes, uh, the cynic. And I think, man, what a badass character, you know, like he was so like that story of when Alexander the great comes up to him as he's sitting out in the sun, sun baking and Alexander the great's like, Hey, listen, I'll give you anything that you want. Just ask me. And he says, Oh, get out of my son. You know, like to have that level of freedom, you know, it's just the most, and you know, we don't know necessarily that, you know, the Greeks were obviously a storytelling people, you know, that could just be a story that they made up about him to, to represent his greatness. But, you know, that freedom, he wanted nothing and yet everybody loved him and everybody respected him because he wanted nothing. And they made statues of him. You know, they put a, they put a, you know, bronze dog on top of his, his, his burial and all sorts of things. So yeah, there's such a power in that. I love it. But let's jump into the topic of today. This is exciting because I haven't ever done an episode specifically on this topic, but you suggested talking about the stoic evening meditation um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell me exactly what you're talking about. It's probably similar to what I'm thinking, but um, what what are you talking about and, and why is it helpful for you? Uh, so it is uh, an exercise uh, and it goes probably uh, back to even before the Stoics. Um, so uh, Epictetus quotes 
the golden verses of uh, Pythagoras, um, mm. which I found out probably aren't by Pythagoras, but rather by a, a later follower of him. Um, so the basic idea is that before you go to bed, you try to go through your day, either just thinking about it or uh, writing it down. And you try to reflect on what you've done well, and what you've done poorly, uh, how we can try to do better. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, so the idea is that <clears throat> I think um, that it is a tool that you use to improve, improve yourself morally, uh, as well as to you know, rid yourself of the passions and things like that. Uh, it's been my favorite exercise by far. Uh, I think it really helps me to, you know, rid myself of uh, unhealthy thoughts and thought patterns. Uh, it helps me to actually uh, improve. Uh, and another healthy aspect is that uh, if you do this on a regular basis, then you know that you have to do it again when you go to bed. So uh, that might actually pop into your head during. Uh, the next day, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I really want to reproach myself for uh, later today. So mm. uh, it's been great. Uh, and I think that there are a few pitfalls. I mean, uh, I think it's an art to be able to reproach yourself in a healthy way. Uh, you know, you just, there is a chance that you might uh, simply uh, beating yourself up for something and so you need to be able to forgive yourself, actually, for uh, having done a few silly things mm. and uh, to be patient with yourself because, uh, well, the same things tend to come up again and again. So for me, it's uh, uh, yeah, uh, procrastination. I mean, I tend to have much bigger plans for the day than I'm actually able to uh, pull off. Uh, so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I like this. It's it's a good exercise and I recommend it to my clients all the time. Um, you know, whether it's even even doing it in the morning or some sort of morning meditation slash journaling practice. But this one at the end of the day, is it the same one that I'm thinking of where you ask the three questions like what went right today? What went wrong today? What could I do to make tomorrow better? Yeah. So the full quote is never allow sleep to close your eyelids after you went to bed until you have examined all your actions of the day by your reason. In what have I done wrong? What have I done? What have I omitted that I ought to have done? Uh, if in this examination you find that you have done wrong, reprove yourself severely for it. Mm. And uh, if you've done any good, rejoice. Mm. I like that. Yeah. It's, it seems obvious that the psychological benefits would be pretty significant, right? Of kind of reinforcing your good behavior and kind of, did, can you define reproach for me? I've heard it so many times. I've read it so many times. I just don't have a clear definition in my head. Is it kind of just making an argument against yourself saying, uh, you know, Hey, listen, that's probably a wrong thing to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds a bit stronger than that to reproach someone, but uh, I'd rather go with what you said, you know, uh, simply uh, being aware that you've done something wrong, mm. uh, that you failed somehow, that you ought to try to do better next time. Mm. So, um, um, but I mean, I, I think 
that there is a danger here uh, that you might actually just beating yourself up or something. Mm. Uh, so reproach might be might be a bit too strong. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, if if I can jump in with something that Epictetus said, you know, any of my clients listening right now will have heard this so many times because I probably say it every session. Epictetus has a clear formula for this, right? He literally says in a quote, he says, when it, when it comes to personal improvement, you have to employ both self-scrutiny and also self-kindness, right? You can't have all self-scrutiny because, man, you've, you've got to be kind to yourself. The best way that I put it is, it, it, the, the best way that I have heard it put was by Jordan Peterson. And he said, you have to treat yourself as if you're someone worth taking care of, right? So yeah. you don't want to treat yourself like a bad employee, like, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that. You also don't want to treat yourself as if, you know, you can just laze about your whole life and not do anything. Treat yourself, ask yourself that question. If I was somebody worthy of taking care of, how would I treat myself? I wouldn't just plan my day from 6am to 10pm at night, nonstop work. You know, and I also wouldn't plan it from nonstop, uh, you know, lazing about doing absolutely nothing. Right. So there's an importance to that kindness as well. Right. Yeah. And it's a great way of putting it. And another way uh, is to um, think of uh, how you would treat your child. I mean, someone you really love and care about and someone you want mm. to do well. Uh, I mean, if you really love someone, then you, should actually point out to that person that uh, they are making mistakes from time to time. But uh, the purpose of doing that is to help them not to make the same mistakes again, you know, to help them improve and get better and feel better. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned that this is kind of, it's not necessarily specifically um a stoic exercise but it's more of a derivative of of pythagoras right yeah and uh neoplatonists uh, also use it and there are a few later neoplatonists who actually uh, written some commentaries on the golden saints of uh, pythagoras and uh so it seems to have been uh common among several philosophy schools um mm. Do you, how much do you know about the kind of philosophical teachings of Pythagoras? Uh, not much. Uh, I know that he um, uh, was really into harmonies in music. Uh, hmm. So, uh, uh, I mean, that's the weird thing to be really concerned about. But um, uh, I, I think that he figured out how the octaves work in music theory. And uh, from that, he uh, somehow got the idea that uh, the world itself consists of harmonies in different ways. Uh, but mm. uh, I know that it was into math. I mean, you have the Pythagorean theorem, uh, which may or may not have been his own invention. Mm. Um, and I know that they did practice philosophy as a way of life, uh, like the Stoics. So uh, they did actually have rules for how they were supposed to live. Um, I think they were vegetarians also. Um, mm. So yeah, I haven't read about him yet, but it, it's coming up. I like within the next few days, I'll be learning a little bit about Pythagoras. But 
that idea of harmony within music is beautiful and it's actually kind of contrary to what a lot of the philosophers thought about musicians. Uh, it's interesting as I'm reading the lives of these, these philosophers, probably six or seven times now I've read that one of the philosophers looked at a musician and said, you know, hey, you've got your instrument in tune, but you haven't tuned your own soul. They tended to mm. really hate musicians for some reason and think that they were kind of too focused on their instrument and not on their own soul. Um, I don't know how much you know about this, but what do you, do you know much about what the Stoics kind of felt about music? I haven't really looked into that a lot, but I have heard that they had sort of a contemptuous relationship with artists and culture, that sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, there is a book, uh, this guy, uh, I think that he just had a moment, Piotr. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. So I'm currently reading it, uh, Does Happiness Write Blank Pages on Stoicism and Artistic Creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do talk about music from time to time. Um, I mean, Marcus Aurelius talks about it when he says that you should break everything down into their smallest parts uh, and see uh, that the smallest parts in themselves cannot really affect in any way. So you can, for instance, break down a melody and take each and every tone uh, and you ask yourself, well, why should this have such power over me? Um, and I don't think that the point here is to say a lot about music. It's rather to uh, um, do it as a general exercise to, uh, you know, deal better with adversity in different ways. Um, mm. And Epictetus also has that anecdote or where um, uh, he talks about a musician who's uh, really nervous about playing. Uh, and the idea is that he's actually quite good to play when he plays on his own, but he's um, nervous for the reception of the audience and uh, things like that. Mm. Um, so... Well, they don't talk all that much about music. Um, well, I mean, I, I love music. Uh, I think that life would be really poor without it. Um, mm. But but I can certainly see the exercise of, you know, I kind of use it in the reverse manner. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, there's that's a great exercise to kind of listen to certain music and say, okay, cool. I'm going to see if I can kind of calm myself and not allow myself to be taken away so much. But in the same manner, I think I kind of reversed that. And I, when I listen to music now, I've, I've only really, even though I'm a musician, this sounds crazy, but I've only really just started, started to understand the power of what music can have in, in your soul, your mind, whatever. And I actually use it as an opportunity to practice feeling the right kinds of emotions, you know, sitting down and listening to music and saying, okay, I'm going to let myself be taken away with the beauty of what this is and the complexity of what it is. And I'm not going to judge anything. I'm just going to watch myself experiencing the beauty of this, this music and, and see how my body, my mind reacts, you know? And I think that that's kind of equally an important exercise. You might, you might agree or disagree, but this idea of kind of allowing yourself to actually be taken away by certain emotions at times so that you can watch yourself and how you react to these situations. I don't know. How do you, how do you feel about that? Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, and I really like, um, for instance, something like uh, Palestrina, uh, Missa Papa Marcelli, you know, um, 
late medieval music, uh, really Christian music. Uh, mm. So, uh, and I think that it does help to um, make me reflect on some good things. Um, mm. It's a great way to relax, to try to focus. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, well, it's great. That medieval but, stuff is just gorgeous, right? Yeah, but also like black metal. And I mean, that's probably not as useful in my <laughs> moral improvement. <laughs> Two extremes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, you mentioned something there that I want to um, I want to ask you about. We'll, we'll jump back into the discussion around this uh, this evening meditation. Because the you mentioned in your our last conversation that you are kind of um, you've got like one foot in the kind of theological game. You know, you're you're kind of doing a little doing exercises and um, spending time around sort of the Catholic, uh, sorry, Catholic way of life, right? Um, I think the way you described it, you said you you're a believer in belief. Is the way is that? Yeah, uh, that's not my phrase. I think that's Daniel Dennett. Uh, that's right. You, yeah, about. yeah. Now, I'm I'm very fascinated by this sort of stuff because it seems that um, I was listening to a, a lecture series recently on Greek mythology, and she was kind of breaking it down and saying, "Well, this is what myth is. This is what religion is. Here's how we break it down into the two. So, she kind of described it as. Mythology is kind of the story element of of the um, of the religion, but the religious part of the of the religion is well, it's everything, but it's it's mostly to do with the rituals that they attach to the mythology, um, so that people actually practice the religion and get the psychological benefits. And you could almost say that uh, Stoicism almost has the kind of philosophical element but then it also has a theological element which is the practice of the philosophy um which may be one of the reasons why it has stuck with people for so long is because there are practices that go along with it just like this uh evening meditation do you think that that's a fair kind of classification of these exercises that we do in stoicism almost as the theology of of stoicism um well it's certainly um perhaps better to say the rituals of stoicism yeah of course uh, uh i mean um just like going to mass uh is the way we're actually practicing religion on a regular basis then you can say that mm. uh doing the evening meditations uh, are we actually practicing a philosophy uh and a way to do uh, <clears throat> and it also helps it um, do it daily. I mean, um, yeah. I don't think that the stoic exercises are as useful if you only do it whenever something bad happens. Uh, mm. So if you try to build uh, mental resilience uh, for the first time when you get to cancer diagnosis, for instance, uh, then it's probably going to be quite difficult. Uh, and it's a bit better to um, actually try to do a little bit every day. Um, mm. to to build that resilience. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and I think that the, even the meditations are probably one of the best exercises that you can do. Um, among other reasons, because well, it's so easy to make uh, make a habit out of it. You do it 
every day before you go to bed and um, uh, yeah then you will actually practice it mm. and break it down for me how how do you go about this exercise are you doing dot points of certain things are you asking the specific questions or it sounded to me more like you're simply writing in sort of like a meditative kind of um kind of uh, you have a meditative strategy almost just writing down whatever comes to you but what what how do you approach it yeah, so I try to go through the day at first so uh write a few bullet points what I've done well what I've done poorly um yeah. and then I try to take one central idea uh from stoicism and write something like a little meditation uh mm. Similar to meditation to Marcus Aurelius, for instance, yeah. uh, sadly not uh, as eloquent as he he does. But uh, uh, and I, I found that it helps a lot to actually focus on one idea. If you try to, uh, you know, dwell a lot on each and every misstep that you take in that day, um, then it doesn't feel. I don't feel that I get that much effect out of doing that. Uh, mm. So I, I think it's better to focus on one thing. Uh, for instance, if I've been really annoyed at some of my roommates, um, I uh, think that it helps to write a little reflection on uh, politicals and the concept that Marcus really uses all the time, the political sense, uh, the sense of, being a part of humanity as a whole and uh, being somehow connected to them. Um, or um, also there you can focus on the dichotomy of control. I mean, that's something that uh, comes up all the time. Mm. Uh, you can focus on the idea that virtue is sufficient for happiness. So whenever you get frustrated that you haven't got anything that you um, felt that you needed, then you can try to meditate on, well, you really don't need it. I mean, you can thrive regardless of whether you have it or not. Um, I have tried a few of the views from above meditations, but I actually struggled to get something out of them. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, th I think that the meditation side of things is really interesting as well. I, th I think that all of these exercises, whether it's journaling or whether it's a meditation, it, it almost seems to me like it's uh, it's, it's, you would get the same. It, my mind just works like this. I like to draw connections so that I can like kind of, um, I can, I can see the full range of benefits what, and how you can kind of maybe say that you would get the same benefits in this. So, I see that the meditation and the and the uh, yeah the and the journaling side of things is almost as if it gives you the same sort of benefits as you would receive from say praying if you were a Christian or um, you know and and obviously there's all kinds of meditation techniques but it's what it is supposed to be is a reflection on yourself a reflection on the way that you're living your life and a reflection on the ways that you could be doing much better than what you're doing right now. And there's kind of a releasing effect when you actually get it out of your head and onto paper, right? It, because it kind of makes mm. it real to you, right? Yeah. And uh, that's not a discussion whether you 
whether it's enough to really think about it or whether you should write it down. Uh, mm. And I feel like I get much more out of it whenever I write it down. Um, mm. It's very hard to focus on something merely in your mind. As soon as you write it down and get some paper, then um, it feels much more real in a sense. Um, yeah. And your thought doesn't wander in the same way that when you simply try to meditate on something or reflect on something in your head. Yeah. Um, and uh, I tried a few meditation techniques. So Donald Robertson uh, had these tracks for Stoic Week where he asked us to uh, meditate on universe and everything like that. But um, I, I really find it impossible. I mean, if I try to meditate in the cosmos then uh, all of a sudden i end up thinking about uh, what i'm supposed to have for dinner tomorrow or something like that uh mm. so um it's a bit challenging mm. uh, and i also think that uh the there are some empirical evidence for um saying that writing something down actually is more effective um and merely thinking about it too. Um, Massimo uh, Pagliosi actually references one uh, study in uh, this book uh, mm. in the chapter on uh, on the evening meditation. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's so many different approaches and that's why I kind of, I, I always tell people whether it is my clients or, or listeners and stuff. I just, I, I try to say, do whatever gets you the psychological benefit that this philosophy is supposed to give you, you know, like you, you need, you need rituals in order to get those benefits. I think I believe that eventually you can get to the stage where the ritual effect almost becomes uh, non-existent, not because uh, it's not working, but because it has worked for you and you're almost in a constant state of that kind of meditation, right? I think that it gets, to, and so I would encourage people to do these rituals, but also to be aware that, um, you know, hey, someday you might get to the stage where you just don't necessarily need it and you can you can kind of meditate on these things throughout your day and and be effective in that approach. But yeah, I, I love it, man. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And and is there anything else that you wanted to share? Any sort of advice for people who are going to take this up and start doing this evening meditation uh, that might be helpful for them? Well, uh, there is a Greek term, uh, prosokia, uh, which means something like attentiveness or something, uh, which is relevant to what you just said, that uh, you might actually simply learn to be more attentive uh, not only while doing this exercise, mm. but um, each and every moment. Uh, and if we're actually able to do that, that's probably really helpful. And mm. uh, I hope that we'll reach that state myself someday. Yeah, man. Yeah, of course. And <laughs> but but writing things down, hey, it's so it's so powerful because it it literally takes what is almost non-existent and it makes it physical. It's kind of bringing that potential onto paper. And what I have found is that I, I want people to know this. What I have found with my own writing is that I actually don't know what I think or why I think it until I put it down on paper, right? Like yeah. it's, it, 
it's it's really hard to formulate a good logical argument in your mind unless you actually start writing and start thinking about it on on, on paper, right? Yeah, and it's the same in my philosophy studies. I mean, uh, when I actually write a term papers, something like that, uh, it's often then that I realize that I haven't understood something properly. Mm. Uh, when I actually try to write a paper on Kant's view on freedom or something like that, and I see that uh, what I've written down doesn't make sense at all. Uh, and then yeah. I uh, realize that I have to, you know, go back to the books and uh, try to figure this out. And, uh, and it's the same thing with, um, I mean, your thought patterns in general. Uh, when you write something down, you can realize that you, you tend to get upset of minor things that you really shouldn't be upset over, or mm. uh, you, you tend to have certain thought patterns that you really should try to rid yourself of. And and when you write them down, you can actually see how irrational they are, and uh, yeah. it becomes a bit easier to rid yourself of them. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And so, yeah, I encourage people, everybody try this meditation. Um, the, the, the last thing that I would say is that studies have shown that if you, um, this kind of doesn't relate to the meditation part of this, this evening exercise, but, uh, if you write down everything that you need to get done the next day, um, before you go to bed, then that has kind of an unloading effect in your mind and you can get to sleep quicker. You can sleep even better. Uh, studies have shown this because you're basically, you don't have to think about these things anymore. That's one of the powers of writing, right? This idea that hmm. you can unload everything that's in your chaotic mind and then you know that it's there. You don't have to think about it. So yeah, try this exercise, do a meditation, you know, use it as almost like an evening reflection of the day. And then, uh, I would encourage people to add on to the top of that just a little bit of a reflection on what the next day is going to look like. Um, and yeah, we'd love to hear some feedback as well. So hope everybody sends that through. And Harold, thank you so much. Thank you too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to sign up for email updates, join my Patreon meetup groups that we hold weekly, or if you'd like to offer feedback or suggestions for future guests or topics on the show, then you can head to simonjedrew.com. There you'll also find information about how we can work one-on-one together with my alignment coaching, based around the philosophical principles found in Stoicism. Finally, if you are on Facebook, then I'd love to see you in our group, The Practical Stoic Mastermind. But hey, I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I'll talk to you next time.